Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Some of you remember that. Paul Harvey, of course, he made his famous inroads into communication by telling us the rest of the story. I want you to think about that phrase for just a minute. Doesn't that sort of fascinate you? What is it about knowing the rest of the story that captures our imagination? What is it about believing that there's something more to the story that makes our mind just salivate for more? We don't want to know just the facts. The facts are boring sometimes, right? We want to know the rest of the story. We want to know the juicy details that lie behind the facts, the details, the background story that brings the events to life. What if I told you that the book in my hand is more than just a collection of stories? What if I said to you that the Bible, this book right here, is the key that unlocks the meaning of life? We're just at the beginning, of course, of our Advent series, and we're calling this series Christmas and the Temple. And it's intended to show you how all 66 books that comprise this one book fit together to show us the true story of the whole world. So to do that, we're looking at a particular point in the story. We're looking at the Gospel of Luke. Don't turn there. But we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, and we're trying understand why the temple plays such an essential part in the narrative of Luke. Let me just paint the picture for you. Uh, Luke, you remember after he introduces, and you can turn there and look if you want, he introduces his narrative to Theophilus, and then he goes right away. The first thing that we see is we see Zechariah in the temple. Zechariah, of course, is John the Baptist's daddy. And then, of course, then we see Jesus in the temple being presented after he's born, where he meets Anna and Simeon, and we're going to talk about them as we get closer to Christmas. And then Luke gives us the only glimpse that we have of Jesus as a young boy, and guess where he is? He's in the temple. And then, of course, as we continue the narrative, Luke shows Jesus spending the last moments of his time on earth in and around the temple. And so Jesus chose, when he came, he chose to live his life in the shadow of the temple. And so our task, during these weeks that we're together, is to determine why. Why did Jesus choose to live his life in the shadow of the temple? And so what we're doing to to show you why the temple is so important, and to show you Christmas in sort of the shadow of the temple, or Christmas and the temple, is we're laboring together to show you that the temple is a picture of the whole world. Now, what's so significant about the temple? What do we know about the temple? The temple is God's meeting place with man. That's what the temple is. But the temple, listen, it's only a picture of the greater story. And what's the greater story? God freely filled the world with His presence. And so then, the temple then is a small-scale of the rest of the whole of creation. So let's go back to Genesis today. Look at chapters 1 and 2 again, because those details are so specific. We'll be here for one more week uh, next week, but I want you to see how significant these chapters are. 
So last week we looked at the God who made himself known. But what I want you to notice today is that this God who's made himself known desires for that knowledge to fill the whole earth. For example, look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse... uh, Let's start at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven... And over the livestock, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here's the Bible. We've read the Bible. Now let's pray. Father, we love you. We are grateful that you've given us this chance today to look into your word, to try to discern what your plan for us is. Help us to do diligence today. In Christ's name, amen. So what I want to do is I just want to give you three points this morning, just three points to show you that the God who has made himself known desires for the knowledge of him to spread through the whole of the earth. So this is the story. Listen carefully. This is the story that's undergirding every story. So what I'm telling you today is the rest of the story. Point number one. Hopefully you're taking notes. Number one, God has created mankind. That is, he's created humanity. He's created you. He's created me with the capacity to know him. Look at the details of the text. Look at what happens. Flip back to Genesis chapter one for just a minute. I, I made this point last week, but I want to make it to you again because I want us to get it. Look at here. So look at, we see God the first day, second day, third day, all the rest. God's seeing things that are good. Look at how much space is dedicated to day one, day two, day three, all these days. But then all of a sudden we get to day six, which is, of course, when God created man. And look at how much space is there. Now we see something in chapter one and beginning in verse 27 It interrupts the narrative. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and maybe your translation has the same kind of uh, declaration. If not, it should. If you don't have the English Standard Version, I really recommend it to you. It's a great translation. But in chapter 27, the translators have shown us that this is a poem. Now, all of a sudden, we interrupt the narration of the text with a poem. That's done purposefully to emphasize the point of something special. Now, I want to make a big deal about this, and I hope that you don't grow weary of us saying this. I want to make a big deal about this because what we're fixing to say is the most foundational thing that we can say about humanity. Listen, we were made to know God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the most foundational thing that you and I can say about us. We were made to know God and made to enjoy Him forever. Now, you've probably heard that before. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard that line of thinking. Maybe your mama always told you that you were something special. Well, you know what? Hey, God says you are. Because you were created, not in any way, you were created and given the capacity, not that everyone knows God, that's different. We're not universalist. But we believe that every person made has the capacity to know God. 
And here's the point. I want to labor on that point because even though we may be used to that point, that point in our culture is increasingly being challenged today. Some worldviews, some philosophies say that man has no purpose. Other philosophies say that, well, man does have a purpose, but that purpose can't be known. We can't know. And then other systems say that, well, mankind does have a purpose, but that purpose is however the wind blows on that particular day. It's all relevant. We can't really know. But the Bible says something different. The worldview that the Bible gives us is the Bible says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Now listen to this next part. He has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Why do you and I believe that there must be more to the story? Why do you and I, our minds, why do we salivate to know the juicy details? Augustine said it this way, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. Now listen to me carefully. For every restless heart today, for every heart that wants more, for everyone trying to determine their purpose, For anyone answering the question, what on earth am I here for? Let me tell you. Jesus, the one whom the Father created the world, stands with nail-pierced hands outstretched. And he says, come unto me and you'll find what you've been looking for. You'll find rest. You'll find the satisfaction of your souls. Now look at your Bible. Look at again, verse 26. When we look at verse 26, when we get to verse 27, by the time we get here, everything seems different. God's already broken the pattern. The usual pattern that God's been doing in Genesis 1, and God said, and God said, is now broken by Him saying, let us make. Now, what's all that for? That's here to heighten our attention. As we're reading the Bible, going through the Bible, that heightens our awareness that something special is fixing to happen. Everything so far about verse 26 and day 6 is different. Let me show you. Look very closely in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, scoot together to somebody who has one. If you've got a smartphone this morning, flip it out real quick. It'll take two seconds to fire it up and go to Genesis 1. Just go there real quick. Look at verse 26. God has been creating. That's what He's been doing, right? The Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. That word is bara in the Hebrew. But look here. But on day 6, there's a different word that's introduced. Look at it. The word make. Do you see that? That's a different word. That's the word asa. So we have created bara. Then you have make asa. You say, what's the difference? God making carries the idea of his special attention. God's paying attention here. He's been creating everything, but here he is making. The two terms, look at this. They're placed on top of each other. Look down in Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth 
when they were created, bara, in the day that the Lord God made, asa, the earth and the heavens. So those two terms are stacked on top of each other to show us the difference. Now you say, preacher, listen, I don't know Hebrew. I just want to read my Bible. Listen, I want you to read your Bible. You don't have to read it in Hebrew. I can't read it in Hebrew. But this is what I think we should do. We should pay attention to the words because we believe something at Oxford Baptist Church. We believe that every word matters. We believe that God superintended the process of revelation. And Moses, or whoever it was, probably Moses, as he's writing Genesis, as Peter tells us, he is not following his own scheme of ideas. He's just not thinking, yeah, let's make this make and let's make this create. Let's just make... No, he is being superintended, guided along by the Holy Spirit, inspired so that we can see the direction that God is taking us and let us know what it is that God's trying to communicate to us. That's why we're paying so much attention. And listen, here's what God's communicating to us. Just in this distinction of these two words, here's what God's communicating to us. He's communicating to us that unlike the birds and the bees, the flowers and the trees, or even the dogs and the fleas, humanity is different. You say, well, what on earth makes us different? The Imago Dei. That is the image of God. Look at verse 26. Let us, Asa, make man in our own image. Then look at verse 27. So God created, and that's a different word, but anyway, we can talk about that later. Man in his own image. Now, we could get real deep today, and we couldn't go any further if we did into what it means to be made in the image of God. I could preach an entire series with the last 12 weeks just on that one phrase, image of God. We could see it all throughout Scripture pop up, being lost and all the rest. But suffice it to say for our purposes today, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Being made in the image of God means that we have the capacity, we have the opportunity, we have the availability unlike the rest of creation, to relate with the God of the universe. That's what it means. Now, this privilege comes with astounding implications. We don't just get to be a bystander. Listen, we don't just get to be a bystander in the plans and the purpose of God. It's so much more precious than that. God has chosen to fulfill His purposes through us. We are His means, His instruments, His vessels. You say, well, what on earth is His purpose? Listen, His purpose is the same as it was in the very beginning. To be known. So that the knowledge of Him can cover the earth. That's our second point this morning. God desires the earth to be filled with the knowledge of Him. So He created mankind with this capacity to know Him. Why? 
Because he has a plan. What is his plan? His plan is his desire for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of him. Now this is, to me, this is unfathomable to me. That he has chosen you and me to fulfill his purpose of making him known. Now, think about who God is. He can do anything that he wants, right? He's all wise. He's all powerful. He could have written it in the clouds. Or he could have had some special flash every time the sun comes up in the morning to let us know who he is. Or he could, uh, as we go to sleep at night, about three in the morning, he could cause an earthquake and we could hear trumpets announcing, rattling us out of bed to say, hey, there's a God in heaven and I am he. But he doesn't do that. Instead, He uses the meagerest of means, us. As weak as we are, as impotent as we are, to declare His majesty. To exclaim from our humble position that His name is exalted. He who is Lord and Creator desires for his reign as king to be extended through those who bear his image. Who are we then? We are his vice regents. That's you and me. We are those who are emissaries of the king. We extend his reign. We take that reign and we declare it. Look again at the text. Look at verse 28. Look at this. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, what does that flow from? That flows from verse 27, right? Where we have this declaration that God has created man with this capacity to know him and to make him known. And then he tells us what that means to be made in the image of God. Look how it starts. The first word that we see there is blessed. Don't miss this. And I could preach a whole sermon just here. It's significant. Because that word carries with it and signifies divine favor. Then look what happens. From the blessings flow the privileges of being God's special creation. From the blessings flow the privileges of God's special creation. What's he tell us? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Subdue it. Now, that should raise a question in our mind, right? This is just not God talking. We want to know what that means because we're after God. We want to know what that means. What are they to fill the earth with? And how are they to subdue it? And matter of fact, wait a minute, what needs subduing? I thought we were in a garden paradise. All of these questions are important because what they do, they relate to what it means to be made in the image of God. All of this relates to what God's purpose for humanity is. Let's look at each of them so we can, very briefly, so we can see what God's plan is. Look over at Genesis chapter 2 for just a moment. Genesis 2, just look down at chapter 2. It's always puzzled me. I don't know if it has you, but remember this. Maybe this will help. When we get to, remember that the, uh, the, um, um, the chapter divisions, number one, number two, none of that was in there in the original. There's just one long bit of text. 
But it's always puzzled me as to what's going on in chapter 2, because chapter 2, after you read chapter 1, it's almost like we're having another creation account. Listen, the idea in Genesis chapter 2 is part of Genesis chapter 1, and it returns to where chapter 1 begins. Look at this. Look at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So you know what we know from there? We know what he's talking about. He's talking about Genesis chapter 1. He takes us right back into Genesis chapter 1. So, but chapter 2 is different focus. Instead of God creating, we're focusing on God making. Chapter 2 brings clarity to God's purpose in creation and tells, tells us further what it means for humanity to be made in the image of God. That's what chapter 2 is about. It answers the question, what is God's purpose for us? Look at chapter 2, verse 9, just for an example. Look at verse 9. God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. You see that? So God putting the man in the Garden of Eden is an act of grace. So what is this idea? This is so important. This is so rich. God formed man outside the garden. And then he put him in the garden. You say, what's outside the garden? Wilderness. That's what's outside the the garden. There's wilderness. There's a land that is uninhabitable. There's a land, or maybe we should say, not as inhabitable as the garden. It's a land that needs to be subdued. Then look at verses 15 through 17. Here's where we narrow the focus even further. The Lord God tells the man that his purpose is to work the ground, to worship and obey. In other words, God tells the man to work and keep, to worship and obey, to enjoy the provision of God and thereby enjoy fellowship with him. Look at what he says. Work it, keep it, and then he says in verse 16, here's my command to you. You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you don't need to eat it. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and 28. And I want to point out again, remember this, all of these commands flow from blessing. All of these commands flow from blessing. You say, why is that important? Here's the reason. Because what we're talking about this morning and what the Bible is presenting is not duty. The Bible's talking about delight. And even more than delight, doing what God says, this is what life is. Now, put 126 and 28 and 215, 17 together. Put those two together. We are to fill the earth with, with what? We are to fill the earth with worshipers and obeyers. We are to fill the earth with fellow image bearers, those who bear the image of God. Now, what does it mean to bear the image of God? To carry out God's purpose. We have the capacity to carry out God's purpose. You say, what's the big deal about the garden? So, in other words, through gardening, we are to extend the boundaries of the garden 
to the ends of the earth. That's what God desires. Fill the earth. Here's your place in a garden between all these rivers, and here's the boundaries. Now, he says, go beyond the boundaries. Fill the earth with the garden. Fill the earth with worshipers and obeyers. Fill the earth with fellow image bearers. Extend the boundaries of the garden to the ends of the earth. Now, what's the big deal about the garden? And why on earth does the garden need to be extended to the ends of the earth? What's important about the garden? The same thing that's important about the temple. Remember the temple? There's one place in the temple where God meets with man. One place. The temple has an outer court, an inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, that one spot on earth, that one spot is where God meets with man. The Holy of Holies was a small room in the middle of the temple. The garden is a small little corner on the whole earth where God meets with man. And God says, from that place, extend the boundaries to the end of the earth. You know why? Because God wants every place on the earth to be the place where He meets with man. He wants every man to know Him. God's desire is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. To do that, He has entrusted you and me. Bearing His image is the greatest privilege that He could ever afford us. And bearing His image... Listen, is our greatest responsibility. And that leads us with one more thing to consider before we leave this idea. Number three, the knowledge of God is our greatest good. Knowing God is the greatest thing imaginable. Can you think of anything greater than knowing God? You know, in this world that's grasping at everything, we get to go into the world because we have this and the promise of His Spirit and redemption in Christ. We get to go into the world and say we have a word from God. Now, we flippantly say those things. God told me this, that. And, you know, I know what people mean when they say that, but sometimes they don't need to say that because, you know, you could be stoned to death if you say something wrong. Anyway, that's another story. Don't really do that. But the idea is you and I, we get this wonderful privileged position of saying, going into this world full of darkness and saying, hey, we're the ones who have real sight. Everyone else who doesn't believe in Jesus, they're blind, they're darkened. They're dead. But the good news is is that life has come. Do you see what that does for us? You and I, we are in this privileged position. You know why? Because we know the rest of the story. As we travel through life, we know the story that unlocks the meaning to every story. We know the true picture of reality. We know the story that undergirds 
every story. You say, you say, why do we know that? Or how do we know that? Because God told us. You said, how did he tell us? Well, he wrote it in a book. Men, carried along by the Holy Spirit, gave us a word from God. And then you know what else he did? He didn't just give us black ink on white paper. He sent the Son, whom we're celebrating this time of the year. By the way, what do we call Jesus? What, what do the angels declare that day? What do they call him? Emmanuel, right? What's that mean? God with us. The greatest privilege that we could ever have is knowing God. God has keyed us in on the rest of the story. And listen, because we know the rest of the story, because God has sent His Son, our hope is secure. Because it's not based on as the wind blows. It's not based on poll numbers. It's not based on the latest political idea. It's based upon the rock-solid assurance that there was a man sent from God who came and bore the sins of the world, died on a cross, and he rose again. And that story, because we know it, it has changed all of our lives. This story is so magnificent that we can't do anything anymore without the thought of this story burning us from the inside out. We can't even do something as simple as eating without thinking about this story. We can't look at the sunrise without thinking of this story. This knowledge greets us when we wake up. It's there when we go to bed. And not only that, it's there in between. It's with us all day. We're so amazed by this fact that God would lovingly create and graciously redeem us and call us into fellowship with Himself through His Son and then entrust us to tell others the story. God could have done, and I want to emphasize this again, and you know it. God could have done anything that He wanted. And some of you, some days, I know, because it's hard to witness, and I know those things, you'd rather God just write it somewhere. You'd rather God just write it in, a, in the clouds, and you could go outside and say, hey, look up. You'd wish that, but in some ways, God's already done that. Hasn't He? Because we look at creation, and we say something different. We say, what is man that you're mindful of Him? You know who says that? Those that know the rest of the story. And for those of us who know the rest of the story, it's hard to imagine. And I know because I've heard you tell me this, some of you. It's hard to imagine anyone walking through life without this knowledge undergirding who they are. And if they're walking through life, maybe you're here this morning and you're walking through life and you don't know these things. Let me tell you, if you're walking through this life without this knowledge, then you're hopeless. You're hopeless. You live a life that has no ground, no authority, no assurance. You're grasping at meaning, trying to find purpose. So you're filling your life with things that you think are going to bring happiness, but in reality, the only thing that it leads to is destruction and death. But listen to me carefully, if that's you this morning. 
you just like me, you just like us, you were made for more. You were made for more. Now, if that's the truth, if you look out and you see people walking around helpless, don't you think that they need to know the rest of the story? Don't you think that they need to know that their life has purpose and meaning? And the only way that they'll find that purpose and meaning is through Jesus Christ? Is through knowing this story? They need to know that God has a wonderful plan to give life. And that's what we mean when we talk about the knowledge of God. Listen, we aren't talking about heady knowledge. We're talking about knowing Him. Experiencing Him. Loving Him deep within our hearts. Loving Him not just with our head, but with our heart and everything in between. The greatest gift that God has given us is the gift of His presence. That's what we mean when we talk about the knowledge of God. Listen listen to Psalm 1611. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence... There is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. That's where there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Now, how many of you this morning would say, Amen, I believe that? Do you believe that? That's half of you. Good. If you believe that, say, Amen. Do you believe that? If you believe that, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion. Jesus said it a different way. He said, all dominion has been given to me. Therefore, you go. Be fruitful and multiply. But he didn't use that language. He said, make disciples of all the nations. Keep telling the story. Be faithful. Be true. Let others see Jesus in you. Let's pray. Before we pray, I just wonder today if you know the rest of the story. Not just about the story, but that this is your story. You have embraced by faith, listen, the God who by grace is embracing you. You say, how on earth do I by faith embrace the God who by grace is embracing me? It's real simple. Call upon his name and he will save you. Call upon his name and he will make you his very own. And Father, it's my prayer today for everyone within the sound of my voice to be confident, to go through this life with great intention to go through this life with great purpose, to find their rest because they, Lord God, have rested in you. 
Right now, Father, if there's someone who needs to pray, let them pray. And you answer them. And assure them because of your grace and through their faith, you have made them your very own. The rest of us, Father, who know you, may you give us further confidence to know that you've created us with a purpose. And the purpose doesn't start with us. The purpose starts with you and your desire. And Father, we get to live every day in the privileged position of saying, we know God. Have your way in our time today, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.